This is the Montana Outdoor Podcast, brought to you in part by Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer in Missoula, home of Boss Snowplows, CM Truck Beds, and Diamond Sea Trailers. Just go to rmtte.com for more information. And by Superior Hardwoods of Montana, home of the largest selection of in-stock high-end wood products and flooring in the Western United States. Let them guide you through the woods at superior-hardwoods.com. Now, get ready for more fascinating topics and the most interesting people you will ever find in Montana's great outdoors. We offer new podcasts most every Saturday. You can get a link to these podcasts by going to our website, montanaoutdoor.com, or by going to our Facebook page, or just send an email to downrigger at montanaoutdoor.com and say send a link to my email. It's that simple. Now let's head out with your host, Downrigger Dale, and see what's going on in Montana's great outdoors. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Montana Outdoor Podcast. Good to have you along again. Downrigger Dale here, along with, uh, well, the captain has shown up, and he's actually come into my realm, my studio, uh, for once, which is nice, and... uh, uh, we've got another great guest for you uh, here on the podcast. You know, as as I've always said, we, we try to find interesting people that that really know how to make the Montana experience incredible for you uh, and have some great knowledge and love to share that knowledge. And uh, Captain, you've you've uh, brought another guest along that certainly fits all those uh those uh, uh, descriptions, don't you? I, I sure have. You know, and one of the things that you're going to find is that, uh, first of all, I'm a little baffled about where to start. This guy knows, does he knows and does what he what he talks about yeah. out in the field, out on the water. Uh, he's a bow hunter. Uh, he's he's a bird hunter. He's a goose hunter. He's um, a fly uh, fisherman. A Five fishes for pike specializes in that. He also does a lot of uh, walleye fishing. He does a good job at that. He does smallmouth bass. I mean, you name it. Neil Cote is his name. He's worked for a few sporting goods stores. Most recently, Bob Ward's, a friend of ours. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's branched out now. He's got his own company. It's called Bite Me Flies. Uh, but it's uh, the the website. We're going to keep saying this over and over during this podcast. It's pikewhisperer dot com because some of the flies we're going to be talking about are on that. In fact, all of the flies, I guess, would be on that website. Neil, thanks for joining us. It's really a pleasure. Uh, I really don't know where to start, but I think one of the things that we talked about was this is not an expen- It is not an expensive sport when it comes to fishing. No, I mean, it, it, no. you got to spend some it money, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't yeah. have to be. I mean, you can, yeah, you can, <laughs> you can, you can break the bank, or you can pay for your trips. And I think a lot of people kind of look past that and go, "Oh my God, you know, I want to start fly fishing." They look in any publication, web pages, stuff like that on, you know, social media, and they see a guy that's, you know, head to toe, you know, the highest, most expensive gear. And that's one way to do it. Um, but you don't have to do it that way. I mean, if you if you spend your money on a decent rod or reel, match the line to what you're doing, I mean, you can get into a fly setup, you know, two $300 pretty easily. I mean, you know, about what you'd probably spend on like one night at an Airbnb, you could pretty much have everything you need to fish for, you know, multiple seasons. 
uh, multiple tactics and, and be successful at it. So Okay, now you have uh, obviously worked at the sporting goods stores like Bob Boards. When somebody comes in and they want to buy um, fishing gear for spinning gear or they want to buy fly fishing, what's the first thing? What are they expecting? Is when they What they expect, is it really reality or <laughs> some when they yes leave? And some no. I mean, there are a lot of people that come in that have absolutely, you know, they've never done it. Zero clue. Um, and then there's, you know, there's a middle cadre of people that, you know, they've done it a little bit. They've got some gear. They kind of know what they're doing. You know, they've got one or two tactics and, and they do pretty decent with it. Um, and then there's, you know, upper echelon guys that, you know, they've done it all. They're looking for specific gear, um, which is fine. You know, I mean, you can, you can go any way you want to go at it. You can, you can start low, you can start medium, you can start high, you can do whatever you want to do. Um, you can, you know, I mean, like I said, you know, for most people, if they're beginners, the first thing I ask, like, what are you going to fish for? What species of fish? Where roughly, you know, I don't need to know your, your secret spot. I've probably been there a couple of times already. Um, <laughs> you, you, but they want to know your secret but, spot. Yeah, after they, 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 yeah, they definitely you. want to know that. Um, that's, that's the, that's the high end package. But anyway, um, but you, you understand, <laughs> you have to understand that, you know, like I said, you can do a lot of, you know, you can pick a species of fish. I have, you know, I have several people that I know. Um, last couple of years, they've been getting into crappie fishing and they, you know, they, they go on YouTube or they go on, mm. you know, on, on the internet and they go, you know, they look up crappie fishing and, and there's, you know, I mean, just that alone. I mean, if you, you can, you can dive down that rabbit hole and you can spend thousands of dollars. I mean, there's, there's, there's crappie there's, fishing, oh, there's crappie tournaments that are you oh, know, yeah. 40, 50, 75, $100,000 prizes. Um, you'll hear of, you'll hear things called spider rigs or spider rod holders where they're putting out 20 rods in front of a boat where there's two guys sitting side by side, like we're sitting here and they've got 20, 10 to 12 foot rods out that are one foot below the surface as the boat slowly moves forward with a different color jig on each one and a minnow. And I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. well, and then the way I used to crappie fish back in Eastern South Dakota, you'd have a crappie rig, which you uh-huh. have, you which have would be like, weight at the bottom, two hooks. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do it that way, but now, I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, if, if people thought bass fishing was complicated, mm. think of bass fishing only equated to pan fish, and then you kind of have a, an inkling of where it's going. I mean, there's so much specialized gear, so many rods, reels, lines, jigs, I and mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Well, one of the things that, that I wanted to focus a little on here to start with is, uh, you know, uh, Captain and I, when we do these podcasts, a lot of times we'll be talking to outfitters and and we've always said you know if if you want to learn things or learn a specific body of water one great way of course is hire an outfitter and and you're going to learn a lot about that body of water and how to fish and that but there's a bunch of you out there that love to say no I want to learn this on my own. I like to get out and discover. I want to do it myself. I want to that. So I thought it'd be fun to to just give some tips for for people to say, okay, I'm going to branch out. Uh, maybe I'm new to Montana or uh, I'm going to come there. Or maybe I'm one of those people that just focused on one area for forever. And now I want to go discover and that. So how do I be able to approach new bodies of water on my own and be able to, you know, learn it and read it and see it and, and have some success, you know, yeah, right it. when you, when mm-hmm. you go out there. So, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. What, what are some of the, the, the tools that you think you should have if you want to kind of have that Swiss army knife of fishing gear to be able to go out and, and do decent no matter where you go. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of times what I always tell people, like, you know, depends on the species of fish, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, as an example, I mean, we did crappie. We talked about crappie earlier, bass, right? Um, if you were going to fish either of those fish, the first thing I always tell people is like, okay, you know, obviously know what you're chasing. Um, learn the seasonality of that fish. Mm-hmm. Where it's going to be, A, when you're there, you know, like I so, you know, if you if you pick a week, like say June, you know, the first week of June, where are these fish going to be? on that body of water at that time of year. Right. Mm -hmm. And you can, you can, I mean, there's tons of information out there. I mean, you could, I mean, I had to do, I had to do it at the school of hard knocks where it was like, you know, hop in the car, drive down to the public library, look at every book that they, you know, probably was circa 1960 on Mm -hmm. on fishing tactics. Right. So you, you get a, you you can, you can go that route. You can do a lot of research on the species of fish and then go, okay, I'm going to take my trip this week. And like, you know, trout fishing would be one for right now, right? Um, where you could, you know, have all the gear, have, you know, a fair amount of gear, have a good knowledge, get here today and look at Clark Fork and go, um, that's pretty unfishable. Yeah. Yeah. So what's plan B, you mm-hmm. know, and, and the great thing like in Western Montana and in Montana in general is the fact that you can have a plan B, C, D, E, F, whatever, you know, however many plans you want, right? You can, if, if you get out of that box, like you, you know, like we were talking about, you can have one plan in mind. We're going to go fish the Clark Fork. We're going to fish squalas, or we're going to fish the Bitterit for squalas. You come here today, and the river's blown. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a um, runoff has come down. Runoff. I mean, yeah, Bitterit came pebble. up. Yeah. I mean, 1,500 feet overnight. It's, yeah, it's going to be chocolate milk by tomorrow, right? I mean, it's going mm-hmm. to be horrible. Um, and, and, of course, it's it's early. The, the, the general fishing season hasn't started up, so you could you could salvage that trip, say, if it was the third Saturday in May. You could switch to spinning gear, throw some spoons, throw some spinners, some different stuff. You could bait fish at that point because that's when a lot of those streams open up. The other thing you can do when it's that third Saturday in May, you could go up to higher tributaries. You could go up higher mm-hmm. where that runoff doesn't affect those as much. Um, and then, of course, we're in a weird zone right now because there's still ice in a lot of places mm-hmm. on lakes and reservoirs where that could be your plan C. It's like, okay, I'm going to, you know. As an example, I'm going to drive to Helena, right? And Helena is kind of great. You know, it's an underrated place in the aspect of there's so many places you can go and so many different fish species you could target in a 50-mile radius, right? Mm-hmm. Missoula is kind of that way. I mean, we have a lot of different stuff you can target, um, you know, in this time period. Like, you know, there, there's not as many options right now. There'll be more options opening up as time progresses. But I would always tell people like, okay, what's, you know, what, what's your target species? Okay. I'm going to fish trout. Okay. Are you going to fish the river? Yes. It's like, do you want to fly fish or do you want to spin fish? Um, and the funny thing is, is, and I've had people, you know, there's, there's a lot of fly fishermen out there and there's a lot of very high end fly fishermen that, you know, they've got it figured out. They know what the hatches are. They know the seasonality of those hatches. We're, we're, we're fading back to that. We know where those fish are going to be. Um, you can go online and learn how to read a river and there's tons of information. I mean, scientific anglers got a ton of stuff out. I mean, every, every high end fishing manufacturer has, you know, data on this trout unlimited puts out a lot of data on it where you can, you know, they'll, they'll send you like the, the other one was in fisherman. That was a magazine that I got as a kid that I, I, I mean, they had some phenomenal articles where they'd show you the drawings and stuff like that. Like, okay, this is what your typical trout stream looks like. You know, here's and now here's, on their website, and on their website they have they have all that information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is awesome. So you can you know read the edge, read what temperature the water should be, where these fish might be holding, how they're running, what are they doing this time of year? Are they coming up to spawn? Or are they, you know, mid mid season? They're just eating and relaxing and resting. And you know, is it this bug that's hatching and that's causing all these fish to target it? So you can kind of. You can narrow your focus pretty rapidly before you even go get gear. So, mm-hmm. so one other way, if you're like me, I don't do a lot of reading. 
I don't have the patience for it, but I pick somebody who knows what they're doing. There's that too. Yeah. You can, well, you can. That's the thing that I tell a lot of people. You can befriend play, somebody. You can either do the outfitter thing, which is great, and and you'll probably you know meet some very super interesting people. Um, I always tell people like if you're not a big fisherman, outfitters are designed to kind of cater to your. Yeah, your knowledge level. Like they're going to come and, in and go. You, you know, the first person comes in the boat. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, cool. Mm-hmm. And I've always said it. Like with people that I go fish, like I've never done this before. Awesome, you'll pay attention mm-hmm. because you get a guy that that knows what he's doing or thinks he knows what he's doing, and you tell him a tactic. Um, I've had this with multiple things. Like I've I've literally been fishing in a boat. I'm catching fish, and there's a boat right next to me. The guy's like, "What are you using?" And I hold it up. I'm like, "This is what I'm using." And they're like, "Well, I've been fishing that all day, and I haven't caught a fish with it." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so you're not. You say you're an idiot. No, no. I've heard you say that noise. <laughs> I've said that a few times <laughs> under your breath, of but course. Only, only to you, sir. Yeah. Um, uh, and a few other choice people yeah. that I know very yeah. well. Um, no, but I mean, it's like you know, it's like all right. So you know, I do it with fly fishing. I had a guy years ago. I was at Salmon or at Sealy Lake with my brother. This was probably early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Got out of town late. He had something going on. I had something going on. We didn't get out of town until noon. We drove up there, put the boat in the water, and there's 10, 15 boats fishing the water that we want to fish. And everyone's up. You know, pike are really weed-oriented, so they'll move up and they'll fish. You know, they'll they'll orient on weed beds, right? Because a lot of their food's in weed beds, and it allows them to hide. It's a perfect ambush spot. So we pull up there, and here's all these boats, and they're literally on this inner weed bed. It's like three to five feet of water, and they're set up on it, and they're fishing it. And I'm like, great. So we obviously can't fish that. But because we've fished there before and we've done our homework, we know that there's another edge that's a little bit further out that's 10 to 12 feet of water. And it takes a little bit more to fish it if you don't know what you're doing, you know, with the tactics. And, of course, we were fly fishing that day. So it's like, okay, we'll go out, use a little bit heavier flies. We'll use a sinking line versus a floating line so we can present the fish a little bit deeper. And we pull out on this edge and proceed to just start catching pike. I mean, we Mm. probably caught, I don't know, I think we caught 35 or 40 that day between the two of us. Wow. And there was a boat that was inside of us. Uh, it was a it looked like a father, two daughters that were older daughters, and they had their kids in their boat and they're fishing. And he's watching us, and finally he can't take it anymore. You know, we we heard him talking like, "Oh, they're trout fishing," because they they assume when we were fly fishing, and that that happens a lot. Like they see me fly fishing, they're like, "Oh, he's fishing for trout. He's not fishing for for this stuff." Um, and he finally couldn't take it anymore. He comes out like, "What are you guys using?" And I'm like, "Well, it's." we're fly fishing for pike. And he's like, so you guys are catching pike. And the one daughter was like, we've been here for four hours, haven't gotten a bite. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, so what do you have in your boat? What are you doing? Oh, we're doing this and that. I was like, we'll try. You know, I think it was, I, I made the suggestion, like, instead of you guys going in and doing this, why don't you guys come out off the edge? And instead of just throwing, they were, they were smelt fishing with dead bait on the bottom. And I'm like, the bad thing is, is you throw that out on the bottom. Well, there's five feet of weeds under five feet of water and you're, Smelt goes way down into the weeds, which, you know, in July, when the, when it's warm water, that's a viable tactic for pike because they'll hide up underneath stuff. But that time of year, these fish are out-oriented. They're hunting. They're in ambushes. I'm like, you guys going up into the weed bed, you're kind of running right over the top of half the fish you could have caught to park your boat. And then the fish are hiding underneath your boat, but you're fishing below the weeds where those fish can't see your bait. Well, what I'm hearing so, here is um, a lot of times, and, and I think you've brought up a, a great thing that a, a mistake a lot of fishermen make, which is um, it's it's not always the, the bait, uh, uh, the gear, and all that. It's all about that presentation. A lot of times you and could And understanding you could how yeah. to change that presentation out. Uh, and that's where, uh, and you brought up a really great thing where the guy right next to you is using the same thing 
and is catching the fish and you're not. And you're going, what? I don't get well, it. I well, felt ba- I felt bad because as we're talking to this gentleman, another boat comes up and the guy's got a fly rod and he's like, you know, what fly are you guys using? And I hold up mine, you know, I'm like, it's this yellow fly that I, you know, tie in town. And I kind of had my back turned to the guy. My brother was in the back of the boat looking at him and the guy holds up the fly and my brother just starts laughing. And I go, why are you laughing? And I turn around, it's the same exact fly. <laughs> That you were uh, using. He bought one of my flies. I think he bought it from Bob Wards, and I was selling them there, yeah. like in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's the same fly. And the guy's like, I've been fishing this the whole day, haven't caught a fish. Mm-hmm. And as he says that, you know, I'm casting out of the back of our boat, and I'm catching fish number thirty five or thirty six, or I can't remember what number it was. And the guy, it was pretty funny because the guy's like, you know, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. And my brother looked at him, and he goes, Well, I've been sitting in the boat with him for about you know a lifetime. And he's like, I used to hate it when he pulled that fly rod out. Because he would pull it out, start catching fish when we couldn't. Mm-hmm. He said, so if it was a day where the fish were on, the pike were on really good, we could catch them on Rapalas and spoons and stuff like that. He said, but these days that are high pressure, kind of like how we have right now, the super high pressure stuff, being able to fish a fly, it allows you to fish slower, the presentation changes. Now, that being said, I can give you the right equipment. I can sell you the right rod, the reel, the line. I can tell you when to go and I can do that. But until you actually see someone present that... Mm-hmm. and grasp that there are ways to do it correctly and there are ways to do it wrong and the in the the line is very very gray mm-hmm. right the other uh, I, I ran across that same situation uh, with Brian Olson Brian is one heck of a fisherman and Alan Tavish and I were in the boat with him and we're sitting there uh, fishing okay and what's going on with him, he goes, he casts out, and he goes, oh, they're there. I just missed one. And then he casts again, and he ended up catching. There's another boat besides us, too. He ended up catching nine walleye. Alan and I never got a bite. And we're looking at him, and we got it, the same thing on because he's fairly generous with information mm-hmm. and everything. But we just we, we couldn't catch. And, and one of the things I want to tell people that if you've ever been in that situation, you feel like you're a failure, uh, but you shouldn't. You should not because yeah. you, people take fishing and catching too seriously. They need to learn how to love to fish. Yeah, have and, some fun with it. And, yeah. and, well, and the catching because I, I, let me tell you another story. I know this is your podcast, <laughs> but I want to I want to relate another story to you. Years ago, we were talking Walleye about people Wayne, that know everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. Year, years ago, Walleye Wayne. <laughs> Uh, who used to do the radio show, Montana Outdoor Radio Show mm-hmm. with us. He was a sales manager for a Subaru dealership mm-hmm. in Missoula. And I called on him and I sold him advertising. And I befriended him. Uh, we had a lot in common. He was uh, considerably older than I was, but he, he, he knew how to walleye fish. And, and I kind of knew how to walleye fish, even though I was from the Midwest, but not really. So he says, let's go walleye fishing. We went on a trip. On Memorial Day weekend, and we went for the whole week, we hit Fort Peck in the Rock Creek area. We hit the dam at Fort Peck. I don't think we even wetted a line in both those because there was tumbleweeds that were were little, stationary uh, for 10 years that had moved yeah, with the wind blowing. A little, a little, a little wind effect. Yeah. yeah. I've, yeah <laughs> which I've which is another thing. When you're, when you're going fishing, kind of pay attention to the weather and the wind. And there's apps out there now like Wind Willie oh, yeah. uh, that you can you can download. So then we hit, we head over and we're going west again on Highway 2. We stop in uh, Nelson Reservoir. Uh, we ended up 
catching a couple of walleyes at Nelson Reservoir. And the only way we caught them, a big storm comes in, big lightning storm. So we went to shore because we didn't want to get electrocuted out in the boat. And yeah. we actually fished from shore, a big rainstorm. And we actually caught two or three walleyes after that rainstorm. Yep. They triggered through. them. Yeah. So we pick up there. Then we go to Fresno. Didn't do very good at Fresno. Now I'm talking about a week here. Then we go to Tiber. Well, while I end up catching a fairly good sized walleye, uh, during that trip at Tiber. But here's the the key. We only caught six walleyes in a week, mm -hmm. but we had a great time. Now, we did get on each other's nerves a couple of times because you're not catching fish. That's what happens yeah. when you don't catch fish. But yeah, anyway, exactly. yeah, And so, you know, that, that taught me a lot about the fact that you have to have patience and you have to be in the right condition, weather-wise and lake-wise and temperature for water-wise, all that stuff goes to, hand in hand. Back to seasonality. Yeah. If, if you play seasonality, you learn, you know, I mean, the bad thing is, I mean, I've, I've talked about this. Rigor and I were talking about this before we started recording. Um, there's a lot of people, I have a lot of friends that journal. They keep, you know, they keep very, very, you know, specific journals, you know, like, okay, we fished this day. Water temp was this. Pressure was this. Wind was out of this direction. Um, and those are all very important things. No, they're not very fun guys to hang with, by the uh, way. <laughs> they are because it, it's fun. It's fun because I, I, I used to be a guy like that. I used to keep all kinds of notes like that. I still do for, you know, like for deer hunting and for, for waterfowl hunting. Um, mm -hmm. because seasonality is even more important for those things. You know, you have to be in the right place at the right time. And if you're a day late, you're a dollar short. I mean, you're gonna, you're, you're not gonna, you're not, will be successful. Um, with fishing, the bad thing is, is that you can have all, you can have all the ducks in the row. You can look at wind willy and it's going to tell you at Fort Peck that the wind's going to blow out of the South and you go, okay, cool. It's out of the South. I can fish duck creek or I can fish this point or I can do this. Mother nature always has a tendency to go, look, monkey wrench. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. and throw it into the machine. Right. Um, so Mur Murphy's you, law. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, I always tell people like, okay, you can, you can fish the seasonality of fish. You can keep a journal and know, okay, this day last year, you know, we were all up there and we pounded the snot out of the walleyes, right? Except for the fact that when we look at our thing, you know, we look at the date and how many fish we caught. We kind of look at the conditions and it'll be close, you know, say the water temp this year, this year's a classic example. We've had, we've had such cold weather late into, you know, in a normal year, I'm pike fishing like on the Flathead River and the Clark Fork and the Bitterroot here, fly fishing for pike March 1st, right? March 1st, I would have needed an ice auger to fish most of those locations. <laughs> yep. um, they were frozen solid, right? Um, so when you keep records and stuff like that and you play the seasonality game, you can, you can, get, you can get caught up. I always say you're fishing memories, right? And memories will catch fish. They always do. Yeah. The bad thing is, is when you get locked into that and you'll do exactly what you guys did on that trip, you fish, you know, five different locations or four different locations. Um, and, and you learn like, okay, say you caught, you know, you caught two walleyes at Fort Peck on jig shallow, right? So then now in your heads, every reservoir you guys fish from this point on, it's going to be jigs and it's going to be shallow. That's going to be the first thing you're going to try, right? But you don't have three other tactics in your bag. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I'm just saying that, you know, a lot of people don't like, you know, I see a lot of people and you guys have seen it. You guys fish Fort Peck even more than I do, but I see it in all the places, you know, from Helena to Knox and, you know, Idaho, there's a few places I fish for walleyes and people like, you know, they'll have three tricks in the bag. They'll, mm -hmm. they'll pull crankbaits and they'll troll crankbaits. They'll pull bottom bouncers with either spinners or smiley blades or silent death, you know, or, or slow death hooks or whatever rigging they've got. Right. And then they'll pitch jigs. 
Mm-hmm. And nine times out of 10, they'll probably catch a few fish. I mean, it works, right? You know, and especially if you, if the stars align and those fish are 100% turned on, all three of those tactics will allow you to cover water fast, present the way you probably should for fish that are active and catch them and mm-hmm. make it easy, right? Right. The bad thing is, is that walleyes are kind of one of those fish. And I mean, all fish are this way, but walleyes are exceptionally this way. They will move at a moment's notice. Yeah. They, I mean, you've seen it at Fort Peck and I, and I joked about this when we were over there a couple of years ago, walleye fit, or when we were over there fishing for that pike tournament, we fished a weed bed that in the first 10 minutes we caught 12 fish off of it. I mean, it was every cast we were dinging a fish off of it. Um, and it's a pretty big weed bed that we found. And I'm like, all right, cool. We'll be able to fish down this weed bed and catch fish. Wind shifted maybe, I don't know, maybe 10 degrees off that yeah. where it was blowing straight into that weed bed. And at 45, we couldn't buy a fish. It mm-hmm. was like you went to a line and it was a defined line, no more. Yeah. I, I always <sighs> describe walleye as, is because every family has a bitchy ant. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Walleye are the bitchy ant of fish because any little thing changes and all of a sudden they're, they're off to another thing. But back to what you were saying, Neil, is if you're willing to open up and try these different tactics and, and be different, you can, you can change you can your, excel, your, yeah. Yeah, you can change your, your outlook. Stuff. Yeah. Well, we, we're going to take a little break here. And when we come back, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about this, especially as far as what should we kind of, what are the main staples to have in that, in that tackle box? So when we come back, let's talk a little bit about that. But captain, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, uh, a, a recent uh, situation you had with your truck and you, you hadn't moved your uh, fifth wheel in a while. And uh, in fact, you'd got a new truck and now, well, wait a minute, I, I can't even get the right gear. And who comes to the rescue? But our friends at Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer. Yeah, they sure did, Don Rigger. But I want to relate one thing real quick that I just thought about it. On that trip that I took with Walleye, we were sitting having breakfast at the Sleeping Buffalo Hot Springs. And I said, Walleye, uh, we're about out of bottom bouncers. And he just ate my you-know-what out. He goes, they, you can catch walleyes with more than just bottom bouncers. And I, I didn't know, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was he was adamant about it, and he was right. Uh, walleye was always right. Yeah, uh, he, he was a he was a true pro. And one of the things he always said, like my young son Harry at the time, he'd go through his tackle box. Harry'd go through his tackle box, and he'd go, "What do you use this jig for? What do you use this for? What's this called?" And walleye mm-hmm. would be telling him. I'd hear him in the back of the boat. He said, "How can we get packages of ketchup?" In there. In the tackle box. In, yeah. in the tackle box. He says, well, you never know when you're going to get stranded out here in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere. And everything, walleye says, tastes good with ketchup, you know, right. including night crawlers. And it's all back to having the right tool for the for the job. And that's, that's right. what, what our folks at Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer I'm do. sure they have some ketchup in their lunchroom there at Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer. Uh, I needed a fifth wheel hitch. Uh, mm-hmm. I have a 2020 Chevrolet pickup, and I won't go into why I didn't have one. And he, I've owned a fifth wheel from Brett's for years, but the fifth wheel had been parked for, you know, uh, about three or four years. So I didn't need one after I bought the pickup. So I'm shopping around, and, of course, I called Josh up at the Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer. You guys do uh, hit, fifth wheel hitches. And uh, he goes, yeah. yeah. The B&Ws, they, they do a reversible, they call it a reversible 
um, ball. Right. Uh, what is a gooseneck ball? And and then they have a another apparatus that goes over it, and that's a companion, and it fits with a flat fifth mm-hmm. wheel hitch. Anyway, uh, he says absolutely uh, we can do that. Now they're a little busy, uh, even for the captain. I was about 30 days out. So June 1, I'm going to take my pick up there. Josh is going to put it on. And he did it for uh, a lot less money, by the way. Than, than what it, you'd looked around. Yeah. And and that's the price everybody gets, not just you, but everybody. You know? I don't think so. I think he actually gives me a better deal than – so call me. Actually, you, folks, you, they do it for everybody. But so, we'll, let, we'll let Captain <laughs> dream a little. R-M-T-T-E. Dot com or right. their phone number is 406-549-4243. I believe his mother answered the phone. It's a family business. Right. I believe his mother answered the phone, and they got a hold of Josh, and he was out doing something. And they, they have uh, the trailers, uh, Diamond C Trailers and Accessories, and they have CM Truck Beds. That's Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer in Missoula. Great people. Go see them. I'll tell you how the fifth wheel hits uh, ends yeah. up. Yeah, they'll get you. Uh, they'll get you going, no matter what you want to do there at Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer. So, uh, back to Neil Cote, our guest. Uh, so, Neil, maybe you could kind of give us an idea of, <clears throat> you know, we we, we think of uh, uh, athletes as boy that that's a utility athlete, man. That guy can just do about about everything. So, uh, set us up here. What what would be the 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 good basics that someone that wants to fish in Montana and open their mind a little and say you know what I want to be ready for anything I'm going to make a uh, my fishing trip's going to be fun no matter where I go and what the conditions are so take us through what what are some of the things you'd recommend we should have our main staples so yeah so basics would be like if you're going to fly fish trout we'll start there right so Mm -hmm. we'll fly fish trout we'll spin fish trout Basic spinning outfit, you know, you can get one. Fluger makes them. Abbe Garcia makes them. There's multiple different manufacturers that make them. You can do like the 2,000 reel size to 2,500 um, on most of the reel. Like most of the manufacturers will have those size reels. Uh, 8 to 12 pound test line. I usually say 8 to 10 is probably the standard. Um, mm-hmm. Six and a half, seven foot rod for a spinning rod. Uh, fly rod, you could do a five weight. Nine foot five weight is pretty much the, it's the, it's the plastic spoon of, of fly fishing. Um, with a, with a, with comparable line, floating line, usually weight forward line. Um, let's go back to the line for the spinning reel. There's so many different manufacturers. Yeah. There's so many um, different weights. Give narrow it down a little bit. Usually, for usually it'll be nine times out of 10. If it's a trout setup, it'll be, it'll be monofilament line. That's what okay. they use a mono, lot. Huh? Um, yeah. Mono just because it's, you know, everyone has that misconception that trout are incredibly intelligent, smart fish. Um, and I say that incredibly tongue in cheek. Um, the you know it, it's you're usually fishing clear water, usually fishing streams. Fish are, you know it's it's clear water. The fish can see a long distance, and of course, people again think they're smart, so you've got to use stuff that hides you know your line from them. Um, I use a braid a lot. I use a lot of different braids for different things, um, and I use like fluorocarbon leaders on them. And I I I will use braids just because I get more sensitivity out of them. Um, mm-hmm. I can feel when a fish tick, you know, takes the bait or taps that bait. I can tell if it's rock bottom, sand bottom, you know, gravel bottom. I can tell if I got a weed on something when I'm fishing it in. You so. talked about fluorocarbon. That's a big um, one for Brian Olson, too. Yeah. Why, why fluorocarbon? So fluorocarbon, fluorocarbon out of all the lines that we fish with, you know, like we'll, we'll say monofilaments and we'll say braids are two different animals. And then mm-hmm. fluorocarbon kind of still falls in the monofilament range, but it doesn't. It's fluorocarbon material. The idea, the reason why that works so well 
is because nine times out of 10, it's a tiny bit, usually larger diameter than a, than a comparable monofilament line, but it has the same refraction capability for light that hmm. water does. Ooh. So monofilament will pick up a light wavelength, like uh, you've seen fiber optic sites on your bows, right? You know, that transmit light to the tip and it glows, right? So monofilament line will do that with sunlight or any ambient light that's out there. So in certain conditions, the light shines on your line and here's this nice white line against a dark background. The fish can see it, right? Fluorocarbon, because it has the same wavelength refraction that water does, it hides better, okay? Mm -hmm. And because it is slightly larger diameter, it also has a little more abrasion resistance. So when you hook a fish, it runs over rocks or it has teeth, gives you a little more protection, right? Okay. Um, or if you're like the captain, you like throw them into rocks, you, you'd be able to get some of it back. Um, <laughs> what about sorry. pound tests on the on the braid? For, on the braid, mono. it's personal preference. Um, the great thing about braids, and that's something we, that's another thing we should probably talk about. Braided lines, diameter versus monofilament lines for di diameter. Um, this will segue into a couple other things for tactics later on. Um, braided line can be. I mean, you can have a huge breaking strength. You can have twenty pound test braid, say, mm. and it's six pound test monofilament diameter. So wow. it's tiny, yeah. right? So you can fish through the water. Your line won't, you know, bite into the water as much. Um, I, I've had this discussion with multiple people. There's a lot of like the walleye guys that are trolling with leaded line. And mm. they started trolling with a braided leaded line. That's that's what all leaded lines are is it's a braid, right? It's like, so it's a Dacron outer lead in the center. Several manufacturers, Toughline being one of them, there's multiple different companies that have done it started combining the braided line like spectrum materials or non-stretch materials with a lead core ends oh. up being half the diameter of the old Cortland lead line that we're all used to trolling for trout right mm -hmm. idea being is that those guys weren't trolling big flashers or yard and a half or something like that so they control crankbaits and have a lot less resistance mm. but the line still follows the characteristic where it has just enough resistance where when you make a turn the line follows your turn whereas if you were just using braid or monofilament the line would go straight line where the boat would make the turn it wouldn't follow the direction that you're going with the boat and why do you want that why do you want the line to do that so if you're trolling a, a see a shoreline contour and there's a point rock shoreline and it curves you know left to right right if i use monofilament line and i troll around that point and say i have 150 yards of line out or 100 150 feet and i make that turn if my line cuts the corner i put the rapala on the beach right okay if my leaded line follows the contour and follows the path of my boat when I trolled, the Rapala follows that same contour. Uh, so wow. I don't, one, put it on the beach, and two, if I'm fishing five or eight or nine feet of water for walleyes that were on that edge that keeps the I'm bait in that strike say, zone. Back to the bitchy ant theory uh, <laughs> that, that, boy, she's only going to bite at that depth. Yeah. Well, now you can follow that you contour can use, and, yes. and, and line and bait. Correct. Correct. So, good, good so going, yeah. yeah. So going back to the to the basic stuff. I mean, like I said, there's tons of fly outfits you can buy pre-built, rod reel, line leader case. I mean, a lot of them have toolkits. Some of them have fly boxes. Some of them even have a fly box with flies. You know, mm. pretty simple to do. 150, 200 bucks. Wow. So okay. not too bad. I mean, you could you could outfit two or three people for what most people think you're going to outfit one person, okay. right? Um, if you were a super, you know, if, if you're super, if you're, if you're going to like the next level of fishing trip, say you're coming here and you're going to go fish with a guide. Nice thing about fishing with a guide the first time is that you will nine times out of 10, not have, you're not required to bring anything. They've got it all. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I would suggest to people that do do that, ask questions, ask right. lots of questions all about it. Yeah. 
Um, look at the gear that they've got. I mean, I, you know, I'm horrible for this. I, you know, on my phone, I'll have a notepad and I let it, oh, that guy's got a 2,500 president Shimano on here or whatever, you know, whatever reel he's got, I'll write that down. So I go look for it. Right. So I can pretty much duplicate what I just saw that person using. Another thing is when you're out fishing and we kind of segueing into what you were talking about outfitters versus mentors, you did this with walleye Wayne. Walleye Wayne knew more about walleye fishing than you did at that point. You guys start struck up a friendship. So he kind of mentored you on how to catch walleyes. You kind of mentored him maybe on how to catch, you know, trout at Holter, right? Trying to find people that have the same skill sets works to a point. But if you have someone that, that has a skill set for this and you don't know how to do it, why are you not talking to this person? Yeah, right? yeah, that's a really great point. Find you know, a mentor. Because, you know, a, a lot of us go, well, I don't want to look stupid, so I'll just keep, you know, yeah, oh, yeah, I know about that. No, mm-hmm. be the be the guy that asks the questions. Be the guy that wants to learn and know, uh, because th- that's what makes you uh, I, that good utility fisherman that can get out and just catch wherever he's well, at. Well, and you have said that to me, I don't want to look stupid, and I said, down where you always look stupid. That, that, that <laughs> ship has left think, port yeah. a long time ago. If yeah, I yeah. if I had a, if I had a, a a shiny a shiny brand new dollar bill for every time I look stupid fishing, I would not be here right now. <laughs> yeah, I'd be a very rich guy. So and that's and that's a, a good point because asking questions, even on the water. I mean, you don't you don't want to be an ass about it, but you you know you you sit there and if you're polite, most guys that are catching fish will let you know. Now think, you you can tell real quickly if they're gonna give you any information or not. Well, I think, I think this is like, this is how, here's my, here's my two-step process on how to not look stupid when you're fishing and you don't know what you're doing. Um, Let me write this down. Yeah. You better write this down. (laughs) Um, Number, number one is obviously ask questions. Okay. Always ask questions. Now there's a caveat to that. Don't ask 5,000 questions. If the person's acting like, dude, I don't want to talk to you or I don't want to you know, like if they, if they're, if they're giving you the signs, like they give you the kind of, they look at you across their nose and they kind of just shut up and don't say anything. Yeah. Probably not that, you know, you probably today is not that day. Right. Um, the other thing too, is that if you do something wrong and I, and, and I'll equate this to every type of fishing, but the best two examples I have, um, steelhead fishing down in Idaho out of a boat, mm-hmm. you go down to the Clearwater river, say around Orfino, and you don't know what you're doing. And you're running a boat around out there. Not you a good idea. So you've got, yeah, say you know a tactic. Oh, I read online that they were doing, uh, they're, they're using a bobber and a jig, right? Mm. And you're going to go down there and like, okay, there's all these guys fishing that edge. So I'm going to run over here and anchor my boat on the edge that all these boats are back drifting a different tactic. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to get right in the middle of their wonderful run. And I'm going to completely foobar their entire plan. Uh, it used to be 10, 12 years ago, you did that in Idaho for one day. And after about the first 15 minutes, they'd be like, yeah, come on over to the beach and we'll show you how to fish. And uh, <laughs> you'd get out of your boat and then someone would hop into your boat and drive away with it. And you're like, okay, you stay there and think about what you've done. It's kind of like getting put yeah. in the corner yeah. at school, right? Um, the they other, didn't, They didn't leave me there that long, though. I mean, they yeah. actually came back. Mm-hmm. They, they didn't feed you with a slingshot or anything like <laughs> pick, that. But anyway, uh, yeah. the other thing that I always tell people is that if you ask questions, like if you don't know what you're doing, that should be the first, that should be the first thing you say to the person. Like, hey, look, you know, I've, I've done it. I drove all the way from Missoula. I'm in Helena. Mm-hmm. You're catching fish. I'm not. Okay. And this is, and I always joke because everybody, like I had, I had a buddy of mine watch me do this. He's like, I can't believe you just did that. And I go, look. He's catching fish. We're not. I feel like I'm a fairly knowledgeable fisherman, but compared to him, I'm not. 
mm-hmm. and I will be the first to admit that. What is he doing? So right. I can I can do one of two things. I can be a complete, you know, Stick joker. Sand, yeah. I can be a complete joker and sit here on the bank of the pair of binoculars and watch his every move and have him know that I'm doing this, mm-hmm. right? Um, or I can try and get in his way and use my tactics that I've caught fish on before and screw up his day as well as my day. Mm-hmm. Or I can just go up to him and say, hey, look, you know, I, I, I'm trying this, 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 and this, and it's not working. And I don't want to take your spot. Mm-hmm. But what are you using? What speed are you trolling? Ask, you know, simple questions. You know, what lure are you using? How fast are you going? And that's 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 the other thing is and figuring I, the questions that you need to ask. how deep are you fishing, you know? How deep are you fishing? Now, that one I always joke about. That's kind of a gray area because it's like, you know, everyone's got electronics on their boats a lot of times, right? So you can kind of look like, okay, I'm marking fishing at 10 or 12 feet of water. If you don't know what they are... And you're fishing yeah. for a certain, so like kokanees would be a huge example. You go up and you're telling like, okay, are these kokanees? Are these rainbow trout? What are these fish suspended in the water column? A very valid question to ask. The guy goes, hey, look, we're trolling for kokanees. It's like I'm marking fish at 70 feet of water. The guy goes, yep, those are kokanees. You want to put your stuff just above them. There's mm-hmm. the answer, right? There you, you go. You've got, yeah. a, you've got a very valuable piece of the puzzle. But if you're out there trolling around, cutting people off, and like, you know, I'm doing this and this, and why aren't they biting? Mm-hmm. And the guy's like, well, you've got to learn a few things about them. Great. I, I, you know, reel up your stuff. I've got, you've got your undivided attention. Like, you know, yeah. like, what can I do? You know, you, is there anything you need? You know, do you want to pop, you know, make a sandwich, show me how to catch these damn fish. Absolutely. And and that's right. a great thing, whether you're at the, the campground or at the cleaning station and all that. And like you say, be courteous. Don't, don't give them the 400 Correct. question thing. But, but that you would find that most fishermen are really Really, they will. If you don't annoy them, if you don't annoy somebody, they are going to. I mean, like I said, I've done it. I mean, like the the guy, classic example, that guy that was up there when I was talking about the pike fishing with my brother. The guy holds up my same fly and he's like, I've been fishing this all morning, haven't caught a fish. And my brother kind of does the whole, you know, it's like, well, you know, he's been doing this, you know, he's been doing this to us, you know, for as long as I've been alive because, you know, he keeps up the fly rods for catching fish. He said, it took me until just a few years ago where I just sat down and watched the cadence how he fished it, how he was stripping the fly back, how long he was waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, my brother laughed. And he said, you know, we call it the angle of the dangle. Mm-hmm. You know, what is he, you know, what speed, what rhythm, what cadence is he using? Is he waiting longer? Is he fishing it faster? Is he fishing it slower? So, yeah, he goes, he said, I'm obviously in the same boat as him, so I'm using the same stuff as him, but he's catching more fish. And it, and it goes back to, you know, like I said, if you're fishing with somebody and, and say Brian starts catching more fish, all three of you are using the same jig, same everything, right? So the first question on my mouth is like, how fast are you fishing it? Mm-hmm. I always ask that. I ask that a lot. What do you mean so, by that if you're casting out? So what? say if you're casting out and letting it sink, right? Is he letting it sink to the bottom? Um, is he hopping at six inches? Is he hopping at 12 inches? Or is he pulling it back kind of? Or is dragging. he creeping it and just dragging yeah. along the bottom? All so, those subtle things, yeah. So 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 mm-hmm. so basically, they, they talk about it in bass fishing where you're narrowing down a pattern, right? So fish wants this food this speed at this depth. If you get, if you start putting those pieces together, you can accidentally do four of the things right and start catching fish, right? You'll at least catch some unless they're super, you know, super neutral or negative fish. Then there's other tactics and yeah. Well, that, but, that, that's what I learned from the captain when, 
<clears throat> when he introduced me to to walleye fishing was was exactly that. I mean, we're we're in the boat, the same boat, same gear, all that, and I can't catch anything. Yeah. And and that's where uh, Captain said, you know, watch, watch me, see, watch yeah. how watch how I feel for that, and how the the, the walleye is going to take it instead of jerking back. I'm letting them have let them have it bit. for a second. Yeah, and and all those little things, and all of a sudden, wham! I'm it's like a whole new day. Yeah. So. Nothing wrong with that in, in you know, learning yes. it. And, of course, now with computers, you can go on YouTube and watch somebody give you a great course. You so, could do that. All and good ideas. And that's yeah. something that, that I tell people a lot because, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a YouTube, you know, crazy person. I will, you know, from the pike fishing standpoint, I watch a lot of videos of guys in Europe because, they you know, pike fishing is their bass fishing, right? So they have huge tournaments for that. They're those guys. I mean, they have some huge pike. So you look at the ways that those guys fish. And if you looked at the tactics that they use versus the tactics that say, you know, people in the States use, it's funny because those guys are kind of, they're snobbish. They really mm-hmm. are in Europe because they've been fishing pike for a lot longer than we have. Well, and the, very and the, refined the areas they're in get a lot of pressure. Yes. So they're not much to give out. Yeah. The, so, the so they're, so they're yeah. hesitant to give you info, but if you, if you watch the shows, all those guys will tell you like, I'm using this bait. We're going this fast. We're looking, you know, they're, they're very knowledgeable, right? We go back to uh, like uh, in fisherman in fisherman did a fishing show for a while, and Doug Stangy was one of those guys. It's great where he'll show you, you know, he'll he'll use a swim bait, and he's catching all these huge walleyes, and you're just like, oh my god, I can use a swim bait, and I can go here and I can catch walleyes. I did this. I went and bought the swim baits that he had. I went to several reservoirs that had walleyes. I got this. I got this figured out. And I swung at the fence and swung mm-hmm. at the fence and never touched a walleye with one. And it got to a point where I'm like, okay, this is a stupid tactic. Put it away. Put it in the box. Don't ever use those again. Yeah. The other right. um, tip I would give is watch other people when they're, for example, when they're in the boat, yeah. where they're fishing, how they're fishing, how fast they're going. And if they're catching fish and they're and you're not catching any fish, there's a reason for that. And it doesn't hurt to sit there. I mean, Downrigger has always said, um, what are you going to do? What do you call me, Captain Wannabe or uh, Copycat or yeah, something? I call you Captain Monkey See Monkey Do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a very yeah. viable, and that's I've seen that a lot. I always it's joke. a very viable tactic. I, that's another thing I learned from him is don't be afraid to just give in to, you know, your yeah. tried and true doesn't work. Well, be monkey see, I monkey am, do. I am I am the first guy that will try something different. I've, mm. I've been that way my entire life. I've had people like look at me like I'm insane, right? That swim bait thing was, it segues into something where I sat there, did all that, couldn't catch fish on it. Flash forward four or five or six years, fishing a day, it's super hard. We're over at Holter, down by the dam, not catching any fish. And I mean, I'm marking fish. I know they're walleyes. I know that these things are, should be eating stuff. Tried slow tactics, tried pulling, you know, bottom bouncers, tried doing this stuff. Um, and I'm like, you know, look at that box and go, okay, there's those stupid swim baits. And I go, you know, I got nothing. I got nothing to lose. Like I haven't caught a fish yet. You know, it's been at it for four mm. hours. This is stupid. Put a swim bait on had, I can't remember. There was two other guys with me in the boat, positioned the boat, made a cast. The one guy asked me a question. So I'm letting the bait sink. And normally what you, what you saw, you know, you assume that this swim bait, it's like a crankbait. So you cast it out, let it sink halfway and start reeling it back slow. So the tail kicks, right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just bring it back. So I cast out. He says something to me about something in the boat. I'm not paying attention. Jig sinks to the bottom. I say something. I move in the boat, and I think I drug that jig maybe six inches on the sand. (laughs) Dunk. And I'm like, that's a fish. Fish. Got him. Now, this is what I always tell people. The hardest part of all of this is what were you doing when you caught that fish? If If you're doing new tactics, like what were you doing? Try and do something that's one repeatable 
And then, try, and then the hardest part is remembering what you just did to make that fish eat. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. And, and uh, when we come back, we'll, we'll talk uh, some more about uh, changing out some of these tactics. And then uh, from Neil, we'll, we'll get some of his, his uh, favorite spots in general. Not exact, uh, and uh, and close it out. But speaking of tactics, speaking of changing your thoughts, uh, we have uh, some good friends, uh, and they have done things with wood that you would never think you could do. That's Superior Hardwoods of Montana, of <clears throat> taking. Now, I, at first, when I first heard this, I thought, "What in the heck?" They're out buying old corral board that when I was a kid growing up at a ranch, we burned. They're out buying old corral board. Now, why are they doing that, Captain? Well, they refurbish it uh, or re- repurpose it. Repurpose yeah. it. Yeah, that's the word. Um, listen to these uh, numbers. 11 acres, 4,000 square feet. The 11 acres is how big the place is, and it's stacked with stunning architectural lumber that you can look at and Mm -hmm. try to pick out what's going on. Some of it hasn't been repurposed yet. The 4,000 square feet is the uh, footage of the mill workshop where customers, um, where they cut the flooring options. That's where they're created. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they are a hardwood floor. You know, they're not like a, you know, buy it from a big manufacturer. They make all this, and they make your home a unique home. Your home, you 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 pick it out, and they help. They they guide you through the woods downward. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm trying to yeah, say. That's exactly what they do. And in fact, when 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 we were talking with them, uh, uh, they were talking about well, you know, what kind of saw blade marks would you like to see yeah. to give it that. And I'm like, wait a minute, you guys will actually do that? Heck yeah, we do that. We want it to be perfect for you. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going to cost a fortune. Really not much more than than the discount place. It, it's just something you really have to learn and see about. And, and uh, if, you, if you go visit their website, you're going to get a really interesting tour. And then in Missoula, just go and tour through and get guided through the woods yeah, at Superior Hardwoods of Montana. Yeah, of course, the, the guy who does all that is uh, Three Fingers Tony. And so, um, but <laughs> no. he's a great guy, yeah. and, and he knows his wood. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Superior-Hardwoods.com. Give him a call at 406-251-2272. Uh, you got um, Corey, John, who doesn't, he's kind of retired now. And then Shannon, they all, they know all about it. Superior Hardwoods in Missoula. Amazing so, things. Um, Neil, one of the things that we also want to clarify with you is that, you know, you listen to you and you talk about catching fish and you talk about the stories about where you weren't catching fish for four hours, where there are trips when you'll go out Oh yeah, and you haven't caught fish. So that's <laughs> what people don't need to feel bad if they go out there and say, how come how come I can't catch any fish today when you know Neil Cote can go out there and catch fish? And there's nothing wrong with that because you, you, if you start learning how, and also if you have kids, prep them with that. You know, we're going to yeah. go out and have some fun 
It's not all yeah. about catching the fish. And, of course, I remember when I fished with my kids, I put the fish in the live well. They they were more interested in looking at the fish in the live well. Oh, I have a, yeah, I have yeah. a niece that does that. Mary Ronan, we used to catch Think about How many yeah. times has Tiger Woods missed the fairway? And and all these other guys in the but, last match, uh, you know, yeah. I mean, it, don't feel bad. But the thing is, if you don't try these new things and get out and do that, you, you you're not going to expand, and then you're stuck where the weather conditions have to be just this, and everything has to be just the same way, or you don't catch fish. And you know that's when fishing becomes mundane, and it should be the funnest thing you ever do. Correct. It's it's the puzzle. It's the game. Right. So so one of the things that you actually Actually, we want to talk a little bit about is uh, bite me flies. Um, yeah. You know, you worked in the sporting goods stores, but you also yeah, work outdoors. Before we wrap it up here, I want to yeah. hear about and, it. And you have a, a website, pikewhisper.com. Yeah. Um, when you told me, I don't know how many years ago, I, I catch these pike with flies, I didn't believe you. You took me out there uh, by Bonner. I think that's when the yeah, dam we were was in still there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, In Milltown. And by golly, you caught... It wasn't the best day, but we did catch yeah, some fish. We caught eight or ten. Uh, oh, you yeah. caught some fish, I should say. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> um, that's uh, interesting. How did you discover, or did you learn it from somebody else watching I, a YouTube video? I actually, well, there wasn't YouTube back then. Um, there was, you know, certain channels on the TV that mm-hmm. would play fishing shows, say Saturday mornings. And of course, I was that kid that did cartoons all the time, right? So I was up at that same time, and I went from cartoons to fishing shows, right? I uh, saw several shows on guys up in Canada. I think one of them was uh, Larry Dahlberg. He did a he did a show called The Hunt for Big Fish. He did a lot of stuff for Strand years ago. Um, and I actually met the guy. He's a great guy. And, he, you know, you see him on TV, and he looks like he's 10 feet tall, and he's about all of four foot two. He's just the tiniest <laughs> little guy. Um, but he was catching pike on a fly rod somewhere way up in Canada. And, of course, it was June, spring, fish are up in like a foot of water, this grass. And he caught two big, huge pike, right? And this is before I knew about big pike and realized that he probably fished for three, four weeks to get two bites on, on air. Right. Mm. You know, and it was edited down to the, those two fish. Right. Um, and I saw that and I was like, God, I got to try that. I was just getting into pike fish and my dad had kind of gotten into it. We'd done all the trout fish and we used to fish flathead lake, troll for kokanees and do the lake trout, lots of trolling. Um, Mary Ronan was a still fishing, the vertical fishing and stuff like that. Um, and I was like, I got to try that. You know, I was at that time I was, you know, a carnivore when it came to trout fishing, right. I was catching, you know, I'd every moment that I had, I mean, I fished all through town. I was, you know, biking out to Kelly Island. I was biking to Jacobs Island by the university fishing, all of that stuff. Whereas now, you know, you got to bring a six pack of beer for the homeless people. But anyway, besides the fact. <laughs> You're talking about Missoula. Missoula. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I would, you know, like, you know, it, you know, once a month I would be lucky in the summer if I could get a ride up to Rock Creek, right. You know, until we got, till we got out of high school. Right. But anyway, so. So we do all of that, you know, you do, you, you, you learn that way. And I'm like, I got to try this. So of course I went out with a trout rod and immediately, God forbid, I actually got a pike on, um, in a place and it pretty much kicked the living snot out of me on a five weight trout rod. And I was like, okay, note to self, I'm undergunned, <laughs> don't know what I'm doing. Um, but it was a viable tactic. I mean, I literally went out and in five minutes, got a fish on and I was like, all right, so this is, it's a viable tactic. It, it can work. The thing that I learned over the years was that it, you know, there's all these different ways to pike fish, all these different lures, tactics. You can smelt fish, you can do dead bait fishing, you can do lures, big spoons, flat fish, all kinds of stuff, Rapalas. Um, but there were certain times of the year where, especially like this time, you're, you know, colder water, fish are pre-spawn or they're, sp- or they're just post-spawn. 
And, you know, you fish, you know, a Rapala fishes at a certain speed when you, when you cast it out and reel it back. So it has action. Same thing mm-hmm. with a spoon. You got to fish a certain speed. And when the water's super cold and these fish are a little lethargic and in a neutral mood, that doesn't trigger them. You can run it right by them in front of them and they will completely ignore it. They won't touch it. I started noticing though, that like, okay, if I can fish something slower and at that time, that's when plastics were starting, you know, plastic worms for bass, mm-hmm. um, you know, sluggos for bass. And, 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 and I, I transmitted those to pike, caught a lot of pike on soft plastic baits. I could fish those slower, but now, you know, with, with these flies, now I can, I can put in a, a, an imitation that looks exactly like what this fish is probably feeding on at that location, right? Say it's a, you know, white fish in the river. I've got a white fish pattern fly. If it's a perch on a weed bed, got a perch, got three different colors. Of and perch. you have these on your website. I have these on my website. Pikewhisper.com. What what's cool about this, Neil, is you're you're opening up a whole new type of fishing for people to that you would never think to to use a fly to to go out after oh, these different yeah. species, and you're having a ball because yes. it's a whole new feel. Well, it's, it's a whole really new feel. Cool. Number one, number two, I'm fishing a tactic that. I mean, a lot of places that I go, like at that time, I'd go up to Canada and I'd fish stuff, and there was guys fishing way up north Canada, but I was fishing, you know, prairie pothole region like. Uh, Alberta, I fish a lot of Alberta, like from Lethbridge to the, to Milk River, to the, to the border. Right. And those fish had never seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, salmon see the lakes when the, when those numbers were up in those lakes, I mean, we'd go up there for an afternoon and catch a hundred pike on a fly rod without breaking a sweat. And there'd be guys fishing all those bays. Like, you know, how'd you do? I caught three, I caught four. And it's like, God, I feel sorry for you. Like yeah. I just lighted literally just every cast, you know? Um, now that's changed. You know, obviously with do more fish pressure. get used to a, a, a lure? I think they do. I yeah, really do. They have a little school yeah. that they go to? Well, I don't know if it's a school they go to, but it's like if you were, so say if you were to pick up a hot dog, take a bite out of it, and someone stuck a big steel thing through your face, <laughs> probably think twice well, to the next I hot dog. Saw yeah. That. It didn't feel good. Maybe I we'll try it. Maybe we'll stick with Broadworth, Broadworth this time. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, so it, it, it opened up my eyes to, okay, that's a different tactic, a different way to fish. What it opened up my eyes to up to this point, and this is what I would equate to everybody, is the the fact that you can you can do your research. You can go out there and, like I said, you know, you can fish off of memories. Let's say you catch a fish a certain way, and you're going to keep doing that the same way. I learned a lot from walleye fishing for trout fishing. I learned a lot from trout fishing for kokanee fishing. I learned a lot from kokanee fishing to both of those two. So the thing to take away is that, you know, number one, like I said, if you get out of the box and you do try different tactics, different baits, if you do your research and you pay attention to what you're doing, you'll find ways that are different than what you're used to and you'll get out of the box, number one. Number two is that if you remember what you were doing and you apply those to days that you have a bad day or you're not doing it right, one, you're not, you know, needless Nancy that's asking everybody like, please help me. I can't catch any fish, right? There's our guys that do that. Um, but you can, now you don't have to sit there and rely on, you know, everybody else or the North Dakota fish finder to see what they're doing. Right. You can go, okay, plan B didn't work. Plan mm-hmm. C didn't work. What's plan, you know, E, F, G. You can basically eliminate water. You can go, okay, I tried shallow fish aren't there. I tried deep fish aren't there. I need to start looking at, you know, the mid ranges or they are they out in open water. You start asking the right questions versus the just flailing, mm-hmm. which is what a lot of people do. So, so. pikewhisper.com, go there, take a look at all this cool stuff that's there, and you're you're going to start opening your mind and becoming that utility fisherman. And uh, Neil, we could go on and on. Of course, we're running out of time, but uh, we want you to come back and oh, talk yeah. more about this. 
because I think that's real. You're you're hitting on some really great stuff here. Uh, one of the other things that I've uh, done with Neil is somebody will get a hold of me and ask me about a body of water. Uh, namely, it's Western Montana, Knoxon, and you know uh, Georgetown Lake, Browns Lake, and that type of thing. I don't know any of the answers, but I know somebody who does. And mm-hmm. if he doesn't know, he'll direct him in the right direction. That's Neil. And so you'll, you take phone calls. Is there I a do. problem with putting your phone number? Um, you can, it, believe it or not, if you go to Pike Whisper, there is a spot. Email, yep. email me. Just send me an email. Um, the only reason why I say that is because, number one, I mean, I know how everybody loves getting called, you know, at the, at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Going, you know, of course, and I do it. I'm like, you know. Who's calling me from North Dakota? Right. But you know, this way so, it'll get to But you. yeah, you send yeah. me an email. I mean, I check that religiously. I mean, you know, this time of year I'm either fishing or I'm in my I'm in my basement cranking on flies. I mean, that's kinda you know, this time of year. I mean, now that it's got nice, I do I paint on the bit on the side too. So now that it's got nice, I'll be painting too. But yeah, send me an email. I mean, if it's if it's, you know, a simple question, I'll definitely answer it as fast as I can. If I don't know, and this is and this is something I told Mark, I told you this, uh, I tell everybody this like, you know, if I don't know I know enough people I might be able to find out. Right. Um, if not, I'll just do the research on it because I, lo- I love doing research on stuff like that. So, Well, Neil, thank you so much for, for joining us, and we're going to definitely have you back. And, of course, you folks, you've got my email, downrigger at montanaoutdoor.com. I, I'm always with my email, and I'll, I'll get a hold of whoever you need to. So uh, We need to have him back to talk about goose hunt and waterfall hunting. Absolutely. We'll I don't, do it all. I, I, don't, I don't do, I don't, I'm not very good at that. In duck, in <laughs> duck hunting. You mean, and, you mean duck shooting or duck hunting? Uh, <laughs> no, I do duck hunting and goose yeah. hunting. <laughs> I do that too. Actually, more than, more than I care to admit, actually. Until next time, folks. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Manny's uh, going to be giving you my email, uh, and uh, he'll give you all that information, and, and we'll get you in touch with Neil as well. So until then, take care, and get out and do some fishing. Thanks for listening to the Montana Outdoor Podcast. It has been brought to you in part by Superior Hardwoods of Montana, home of the largest selection of in-stock, high-end wood products and flooring in the Western United States. Let them guide you through the woods at superior-hardwoods.com. And by Rocky Mountain Truck and Trailer in the Sula, home of Boss Snowplows, CM Truck Beds, and Diamond Sea Trailers. Just go to rmtte.com for more information. So what did you think of today's podcast? Send your questions and comments to downrigger at montanaoutdoor.com. We should be dropping a new podcast this next Saturday. Until then, we will see you soon out in Montana's great outdoors.